And we are live. Thank you guys for coming. Uh, there were a couple of things I wanted to talk about um, before I actually talk to guests. I think I'm going to spend probably 30 minutes or so um, talking about something interesting relating to Jehovah's Witnesses. And then the, the last portion, I'm going to talk to guests. So, basically, I, I just finished making this video earlier today. And um, I put it up on my channel and sent it out to patrons and things like that. And uh, I don't know, like, I, sometimes some videos when I make them... It's hard to get through all of the information. It's hard to uh, wade through it and order it in a, in a structured way. But every now and then I find this subject that is just, just holds my interest so well. Um, this video that I just made, that is one of those videos. It holds my interest so well. Um, the Westboro Baptist Church video, the Quiverful Movement video, those are examples of videos that I had a lot of trouble getting through, be all of the research, because there's so much of it, and I basically don't know anything about these until I start looking into it. So, um, yeah, that's why it, it actually went so long before I ended up doing those videos. I mean, I was on YouTube for like a couple of years. Who's making noise? I think it's 6-bit. I'm muting her. Anyway, um, what was I saying? Oh, it was a couple of years before I, uh, like I ended up doing the Westboro Baptist Church. It was a couple of years before I did the Quiverful Movement, even though I had a lot of requests for them, just because of how difficult it is to research for them and, and hard to keep myself um, interested and engaged in the subject sometimes, so... Um, anyway, like I was saying, kind of going off on a little tangent there, um, this video that I just made j was just so fascinating. It was like every time I was, so basically what this video is, it's not public yet, but it's, uh, an expose of the elders handbook, the Jehovah's Witnesses elders handbook. Um, I just go through like a couple of sections in it and read the paragraphs. So... Females are not allowed to touch this book, not allowed to be anywhere near it. Um, if the elder wants to have it like spiral bound or something like that, then they have to stand there while it's being bound. It, they can never let it out of their sights. They can't leave it in anybody's safekeeping or anything. It's super private, super secret book. Um, so anyway, it... it it doesn't have as much interesting, crazy information as you as one would think. It's mostly just instructions. So for the live stream, for those of you watching the live stream, I'm going to pull it up here. This is the Elder's Handbook. And it's called um, Shepherd the Flock of God. It's really, really interesting to go through. But there's another book that is referenced within this that I found extremely interesting, too. Like, so interesting that I almost completely put this, this video down, didn't even do it, and did it on a different subject entirely. 
like out of this book. That's how interesting this book is. But you know, I ended up doing it. Uh, I ended up doing the original, so it was just hard to keep on track. But uh, yeah, so let's just take a look through the like the table of contents in the elders book. We've got things like how elders work together as a body, um, elders meetings, how the body of elders is organized, pursue peace with one another as spiritual men. See, they have like loaded language just like this, like pursue peace with one another as spiritual men. That's probably a Bible quote, I imagine. That is from the Bible, almost certainly. But they apply it in a way that is unique to them, in a way that like nobody else really understands except Jehovah's Witnesses, right? So let's just take a just take a quick glance at what kind of things we'd find on page 12. And remember, this book is like top secret. Nobody is supposed to see the inside of this book. Um, okay, so this is page 12, elders meetings. We've got, um, this is paragraph two. That's weird. Oh, okay. Well, I guess it's start. Okay, that, so the chapter starts on page 11, but this section starts on page 12 says, the body of elders is a scriptural entity. When the body of elders discusses a matter, Christ, by means of the Holy Spirit, can influence any elder to make an expression that results in a wise decision, one that may not have been reached if the elders had been consulted individually. Uh, something else to note here is, before judicial meetings, like before anybody gets disfellowshipped, before they go into their meeting to be disfellowshipped, elders will pray for, um, <clears throat> they'll pray for guidance from the Holy Spirit, quote unquote. And so they, they believe that the decisions that they make are endorsed and guided by the Holy Spirit, no matter what. Now, of course, they've made some really heinous decisions in those meetings before some wrong decisions that they've so in some cases even had to come out and admit to that they were wrong but they still seem to think they have the holy spirit's backing anyway all right i'm getting off track so the third paragraph when to hold elders meetings normally the body of elders holds four meetings a year in addition to the two meetings held in conjunction with the visits of the circuit overseer they should schedule another meeting about three months after each visit so you can see it's just kind of describing um, the, what would you call it, the standards, the standard practice for the body of elders in this chapter. Um, you know, let's just look through the sections here. So it should be possible for bodies of elders to be unanimous in most of their decisions. How the body of elders is organized coordinator of the body of elders say so they've got um <clears throat> they've got like the body of elders in each congregation right and i don't know how many they have probably 10 i'll say i don't that's just a guess 10 10 elders and there are each elder is assigned a different responsibility so you've got the presiding overseer he's kind of the head of the congregation he makes all of the decisions administratively and all of that stuff he's one step below the circuit overseer the traveling circuit overseer who goes from congregation to congregation right and then you've got um 
I don't remember what it's called now. Maybe the service elder. I don't know, but he leads service meetings and he kind of manages the door knocking responsibilities and the territories and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, so you've got a whole bunch of different responsibilities that that each elder takes. So I, I'm assuming this is coordinator of the body of elders. I don't know what that is. Maybe that's one of the positions. Yeah, the coordinator's duties include the following. Serves as chairman of meetings of the body of elders. He or another elder contacts the group overseers to determine the situation of each household when a disaster occurs. Notifies circuit overseer of results when, uh, when compiled. He directly oversees the attendance... I'm sorry, he oversees the attendant, sound, and stage departments. Another elder may assist. So each elder has his own little responsibility. This one is the coordinator of the body of elders. Um, let's see. Congregation secretary. See, that's another responsibility. Now, you'd think that a lot of these responsibilities could be delegated to younger people in the congregation or women, really... Um, spiritually strong women who have been in the congregation for 50 years. You'd think they could take over some of this work, right? No. That is completely against the rules. Um, congregation secretary absolutely must be done by an elder. Uh, this elder's responsibilities include the secretary's, uh, I'm sorry, maintaining the congregation records, including correspondence from the branch office in an orderly way. I think one of the things that this, um, this elder does is he keeps track of disfellowshipping records. So everybody has a publisher's card, like every, so there are different steps when you join this religion. You've got um, you start coming to the meetings and you're just kind of studying. You're just a Bible study, right? Then you can become a, uh, what's the term for it? Uh, an unbaptized publisher. That's it. God, I couldn't remember that. So you can become an unbaptized publisher. That basically means you are one step above just a normal member of society. You can go knock on doors with people and... You can request literature from the literature counter, I think. Things like that. Uh, so you're an evangelizer for them. And then a little bit down the line, you can get baptized a couple years or a year or maybe even six months after becoming an unbaptized publisher. It kind of goes on a case-to-case -case basis. But this book here would tell us exactly how long somebody would have to wait to... Uh, to get baptized. So anyways, getting off track again. So that's the congregation secretary. Then we've got uh, service overseer. There you go. And congregation service committee approves use of the kingdom hall for weddings and funerals, assigns publishers to field service groups after consulting with group overseers involved, um, writes the branch office when a publisher plans to move and wishes to obtain information regarding congregations having a need for assistance. Um, so like I was saying, the, uh, who was it? The, the secretary will keep your publisher's card. It, it tells your status as a Jehovah's witness. Like if you're just, if you're an unbaptized publisher or if you're baptized or if you're disfellowshipped, I think it says it on there. And they keep track of that stuff. 
So, anyway. Um, kind of skipping around a little bit here. Yeah, service overseer's responsibilities include showing genuine interest in the Bible study activity, helping the publishers to conduct effective studies and to direct interest to the organization. Their responsibility is showing genuine interest in the Bible study activity. That's an odd requirement. Um, anyway, let's see. Congregation Service Committee, Group Overseer. Anyway, okay, I've spent enough time on elders. Let me just go back up to the table of contents and take a look here. So we've got um, how elders work together as a body, right? That's this entire section here. Then we've got appointment and deletion of elders and ministerial servants. Um, you remember I was just saying that there's a hierarchy, like you become an unbaptized publisher, then you get baptized. Well, there's a, I mean, the hierarchy continues up. Um, eventually you can become a ministerial servant. And then after that, you can become an elder. And um, ministerial servants kind of do some of the legwork for elders, some of the legwork. And they are considered the most senior um, Jehovah's Witness there if no elder is present. So, anyway. Uh, let's see. Some other stuff. Some other interesting things about this freaking cult. Um, I guess I can swear. Some other things about this fucking cult. Let's see. Assisting those who are weak. Symptoms of spiritual weakness. Shepherding that encourages. See, they do things called um, shepherding calls, where they'll go to your house or they'll call you up or something, and they'll, I don't know, talk to you and try to gauge where you sit with the religion, if you're like an apostate or if you, I don't know, just whatever. It's spiritual counseling, quote-unquote. Uh, giving effective counsel. Assisting those who are inactive. Assisting those with marital problems. There's so much interesting stuff in this book, man. I could just go through this thing for like an hour and a half. Oh, God, it's so crazy. Encouraging those who were abused in their childhood. You know what? Let's find out what the Watchtower Society has to say about child abuse. Um, 52. That was page 52. Okay. Marital problems... Okay. Encouraging those who were abused in their childhood. That table of contents lied. It was page 53. Those who, as children, were abused sexually or otherwise many times grow up to be adults with emotional scars. They're in need of much loving attention. Thus, you will want to be conscious of treating such ones with thoughtfulness, tenderness, and kindness. <sighs> Just the, the verbiage they use kind of bothers me such an attitude helps to assure them that you really care for them and that you are like a hiding place from the wind and a place of concealment from the rainstorm okay that's an isaiah quote apparently like god we should be tenderly compassionate when offering encouragement to such ones select from the body of elders those elders best qualified to give the needed assistance. Okay, I want to know what kind of assistance they're trying to offer here. Um, oh, check this out. It must be recognized that elders are... I'm sorry, that elders as such 
are not mental health professionals or therapists, but are spiritual shepherds. Well, I'm glad to see that in there. I mean, that, that actually makes me kind of happy because at least they're recognizing that they are not mental health professionals. That's good. I mean, that's a step in the right direction. And this is a 2017 copy of the book. They just released a new edition. The last one, I think, was 2015. Oh, man. <clears throat> so let's see. Consequently, you should not conduct sessions for what some may view as group therapy. It's not necessary to spend time reading secular publications dealing with worldly psychology or psychiatry. Okay, wow. Um, way to demonize psychology, first of all. Okay, so they say they're not mental health professionals, but they're certainly not speaking highly of mental health professionals anyways. You should not take a role similar to that of a professional therapist. Someone who has serious mental em or emotional illness may need professional help. Okay, they saved it. They came back in the end. Uh, but still, they demonized it there a little bit, you know? I mean, somebody is going to read that and, and have a lower opinion of it as a result. Even if it says here they may need professional help, even if it says that, their opinion is going to be colored by the, the, the preceding sentences. So that still bothers me a little bit. One way you can show sincere interest is by being a good listener. The October 1st, 1983 issue of The Watchtower. Now, make note here. See what they're doing. They're not quoting the Bible. They're quoting The Watchtower. They're quoting their literature. They do that constantly. I just don't read like their... I don't quote their literature very often, so I don't run across that very often, but they do it constantly, like in all of their stuff. They're always quoting their literature. So, it says, The October 1st, 1983 issue of The Watchtower on page 28 cautions against telling a sufferer who seeks assistance just to forget what occurred. Okay, so they're saying this Watchtower is saying we shouldn't be telling somebody, a victim of something, to just forget what occurred. Many have found great relief simply in talking with a sympathetic, non-judgmental elder who can provide the good word of encouragement. Okay, so interestingly enough, they didn't say, go report it to the police. They said, just tell me about it. That's not good. Um... Let's continue. God, this book, man. All right, I'll tell you what. I only have a couple of minutes, so before I continue with this book, I just want to skip over to this book for a couple of minutes. We may come back to the other because this one just is chock full of really, really interesting stuff. So this is the Keep Yourselves in God's Love book, large print edition. It's the only one I could find, um, oddly enough. You'd think it'd be more available, but... Anyway, um, I didn't. I don't really remember this book very well when I was in. I remember the, like the, the print on it, like the pattern, the picture on the cover, but I do not remember this book specifically. Kind of strange. So let's just take a look through here real quick. This is what the love of God means. That is bound to just be so interesting. I am fighting just clicking the mouse now. Let's just read a few more. How can you maintain a good conscience? 
love those whom love I'm sorry love those whom God loves why respect authority how to keep separate from the world how to choose wholesome entertainment do you value life as God does God loves clean people flee from sexual immorality marriage a gift from I'm sorry marriage a gift from a loving God okay let's just take a quick glance at uh, where was it shoot I lost which one was oh here it is how to keep separate from the world page 64 okay um, I'm just gonna read like one or two paragraphs here so we've got uh, if you notice it for those of you who are watching the live stream um, if you notice there are questions at the bottom of each page um, they correspond to the paragraphs. So what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to read the paragraph, then read the question, and then answer the question from the paragraph. You're basically um, reciting exactly what the Watchtower Society wants you to recite word for word. Uh, you can go off the script a little bit when, you, when they do this at the meetings. Like sometimes they'll ask the questions at the meetings. You raise your hand and you give your answer. Um, you can go off script a little bit, but if you go off script too much and it's just like nothing to do with with what the paragraph was saying, then you'll you'll be talked to by elders and things afterward. But uh, yeah, let's so let's just take a quick look here. Uh, let me find what appears to be the best paragraph. Um, all right, let's read number two. The world Jesus mentioned refers to all of mankind who are alienated from God, ruled by Satan, and enslaved to the selfish, prideful spirit that emanates from him. Indeed, friendship with that world is enmity with God. How, though, can all who want to remain in God's love be in the world, yet be separate from it? We will consider five ways. By remaining loyal to God's kingdom under Christ and neutral in worldly politics, by resisting the spirit of the world, by being modest in our dress and grooming, by keeping our life simple, and by putting our spiritual suit of, putting on our spiritual suit of armor. Okay, so now the question. What is the world to which Jesus referred? <clears throat> now, if we were at a kingdom hall and we were studying this book, somebody would... So the... Uh, They'd have two elders on stage, right? For the outsiders who don't know this already. They'd have two elders on stage. Now, this is what it was like when I was in it. I don't know what it is now. I suspect it's probably the same. Two elders on stage, one at the podium, one in a chair or, or something nearby, on stage still. And the one in the chair off to the side has a microphone with him, and he will read the paragraph. He'll read the whole thing. And then when he finishes... The conductor, the the guy at the podium, will then read the question number two: What is the world? What is the world to which Jesus referred? And people in the congregation, I think only baptized members. No, certainly not just baptized, because I was answering when I was little. I was answering when I was five or six, I think. So. Um, I suspect anybody can, as long as they're not disfellowshipped, as long as they haven't lost privileges, because that's one of the quote-unquote privileges they take, is answering at the meetings. But anyways, he'll, so these pe anybody can raise their hand, and they'll, they'll read it straight from the paragraph. So, what is the world to which Jesus referred? 
And somebody would say, I mean, this is a pretty straightforward answer here. There's no really going off script with this one. So someone would say, um, it refers to all of mankind who are alienated from God, ruled by Satan, and enslaved to the selfish, prideful spirit that emanates from him. That's the answer that they'd expect. Um, I guess you could go off script a little bit and say non-Jehovah's Witnesses. They may not like that too much, but um, that's what it comes down to, right? I mean, that's what it boils down to ultimately. So anyways, uh, remaining loyal and neutral. That one, I think, relates to politics. I'm just saying we shouldn't get political. Um, Looking through here. By the way, about probably about five minutes, I'm going to start talking to guests. Okay, let's see. Loyalty to Christ is not the only reason that true Christians are neutral. Unlike ancient Israel, which had a God-given land allocation, we are part of an international brotherhood. Thus, if we were to rally to the side of local political parties, both our freeness of speech in regard to the kingdom message and our Christian unity would be severely compromised. Interesting. Um... Hmm. Some of this is like, it doesn't really relate to anything like super pertinent. Like this is just standard stuff. Don't get involved in politics and, and things like that. I was hoping to find something super interesting that they say in here. Because I actually looked for the word disfellowshipping earlier and I found some really juicy stuff. <clears throat> Listen to this. The disfellowshipping arrangement is really a loving provision from Jehovah. How so? Expelling an unrepentant sinner shows love for Jehovah's holy name and all that it stands for. God, just... They're so ridiculous. Just outrageous, these people. Uh, where was I? Let me get back to where I was. Okay. When to withdraw fellowship. All right, I actually covered some of this in my video, so I'm not even going to address some of this stuff. You'll have to watch it on Thursday. Respect in the family. Jehovah himself designed the family arrangement. Ever the God of order, he has organized the family so that it can work well. He gives the husband and father authority to act as family head. The husband shows respect for his head, Jesus Christ, by imitating the way Jesus exercises headship over the congregation. <clears throat> wow, man. Thus, the husband is not to abdicate his responsibility, but to shoulder it manfully, to shoulder it manfully. Nor is he to be tyrannical or harsh, but rather loving, reasonable, and kind. He keeps in mind that his authority is relative. It never overrules Jehovah's authority. A wife and mother is to act as her husband's helper or complement. She too is vested with authority in the family, for the Bible speaks of the instruction of your mother. Proverbs 1.8. Of course, her authority is subordinate to that of her husband. This is just gold, man. A Christian wife shows respect for her husband's authority by helping him fulfill his role as family head. She does not belittle him, manipulate him, or usurp his position. Rather, she's supportive and cooperative. 
When his decisions are not to her liking, she may respectfully express her thoughts, but she, she remains submissive. If her husband is not a believer, she may face challenging situations, yet her submissive conduct may move her husband to seek Jehovah. God, this book. Oh, man. Um, earlier, I was looking in this thing at the disfellowshipping stuff, which I'm just going to skip over here for a second. I think it was like right above it. Okay. Should I accept a Christmas bonus? During the Christmas season, a Christian's employer may offer a present or a bonus. Should that Christian reject such? What? That's a weird word. Should their Christian reject such? Not necessarily. The employer may not even be thinking that by accepting the bonus, the receiver is celebrating Christmas. The employer may simply be giving all his workers a share of the company's profits, or the bonus may be evidence of his gratitude for services rendered all year long, as well as a stimulus to continued good work. The employer may give a gift to all employees, Jews, Muslims, or others, regardless of whether they celebrate Christmas or not. Okay, now this is just a grade A justification. I'm really interested that they're okay with people taking Christmas bonuses. Now, first of all, the f the very this this argument here, the employer may give a gift to all employees, Jews, Muslims, or others, regardless of whether they celebrate Christmas or not. That argument isn't good, but it's better than the others that I've seen. Um, it's still a piss poor argument, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that one's a little bit better than above here, what it says. Uh, the employer may not be thinking that accepting the bonus, the receiver is celebrating Christmas. Um, that is a piss poor argument to me. That is ridiculous. If they are so freaked out that they don't want to buy a, a, like a, a wreath at Christmas time, to put on their door during summer because it may be Christmas related somehow. Or if they're so freaked out that they won't buy anything from a garage sale because it may have Satan attached to it or something. How can they justify this and still believe those other things? I don't know. It's just hypocrisy. Like, I'm, I'm glad the Watchtower Society is accepting that or, or allowing them to do this because the Watchtower Society has told them to do some really, really horrific shit. Like, told them to bribe the government, the, like the Mexican government, so that they didn't have to serve in the military. They've told them to do that before. But they didn't tell them to reject a Christmas bonus here. I just find that really, really interesting. Anyway. Okay, well, it's about that time, so why don't, uh, why don't I bring on some guests? The first person is Mage cat m m for mage hey i wanted to jump in for like two seconds okay what's up uh i just wanted to say the reason they're allowed to take the christmas bonuses is because the the uh the kingdom hall gets a cut of that that's true they do donate a lot of money that's a good point although um I don't know. They still discourage people from going to college, which is in their best interest. I guess they did the math and figured losing people to the fact that evolution is real and finding that out 
outweighed losing the money that would come in with people, you know, getting good jobs and things. So I don't know. It's weird. Anyway, are you there, Mage Cat? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. How's it going? Uh, we haven't talked before, have we? No, we haven't. So what religion were you originally? Are you still religious or? Um, my pa- my my mom was um my mom my mom was like I think she was Christian and my dad um attended a Catholic school um up until he was like adult and then he became um fu- um full atheist. Wow. Afterwards, but that's yeah. interesting. So he like he attended this basically brainwashing camp pretty much. I mean those schools are really serious sometimes you said it was a catholic school i yeah i think so yeah and he no, kind yeah, of he attended it. Any, yeah what was that yeah. no, nothing i was just going on okay that's really interesting so did you grow up uh atheist then or were you religious um my parents really really um put any uh pressure on me to choose a religion they just like um my mom kind of like put me into like more christian thoughts like heaven and whatever all those things my dad he just straight up told me that santa wasn't real oh wow (laughs) that's funny how old were you were you just a kid like Um, five six i think i was around uh 10 uh, well i don't think he he was the one to like straight up tell me i kind of found out because i would watch really inappropriate videos on youtube okay my mom still makes me believe in Santa, but and my dad doesn't push it on me anymore. Oh man, that's interesting. So <laughs> I was talking to um, Alpha Force Zero's grandma, and she was ba- there's this little rumor floating around the family that Santa's not real. Like all of the kids have heard this little rumor, you know, and um, and so her grandma, uh, to counter that problem, was like, well, I don't know about you. And she said this in, alone in a room with me, just me and her. She said, I don't know about you, but I do believe in Santa. I believe in the Christmas spirit and all that stuff. And I'm think, like, I'm just going to let her think that. That's fine. But I was thinking to myself, do you really believe in Santa? Like, why would you just tell me this in a room alone? You could have just been up front about it. But anyways, uh, that's pretty interesting. So you grew up with like quote-unquote christian values then is that fair to say um yeah christian ideas and teachings and things but it wasn't like super extreme no not extreme at all like barely because my mom is a twice divorced mother and she goes on dates a lot with men and she goes out at night sometimes and goes to a, a a part goes out to um a bar and she just hangs out with friends. She has fun and I right. really like that. And, and she's just so much fun. Yeah. But she's never home because she's always out at work or out at night. Busy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. So how do you feel and, about that? Do you feel like uh, like are you a little bit unhappy about it or? No, because um sometimes she doesn't really know how to make herself happy and that's how she makes herself happy and i think she should be happy because she does so much for us yeah i can understand that everybody should have their way of making themselves happy right and there shouldn't be any shame in whatever that thing is like you find with religion sometimes where they'd say drinking too much or going out too much or whatever it is um, I don't feel like shame like that should factor into the equation at all. I think that's ridiculous. 
Yeah, um, she was also the, when my mom and dad broke up, one of the first thing, well, not the first thing, but about two years later, Yeah. she took us to church for the first time, and it was a church in where I live, where um, it was the first church in that place to have a gay wedding. Mm. I just thought that was a really important thing. That is really that. interesting. So what kind of church was it? Do you know, or... Um, no, it, well, it wasn't, it didn't have, like, a kind of religion attached to it. It was just, mm. like, if you want to believe this, you can. Yeah, yeah. It kind of church. It was really nice, but it just really wasn't my thing. Mm. And my brother really didn't like it, so. So the church wasn't really your it. thing, is what you're saying. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad that you didn't really get sucked into it, because sometimes people get, like, really sucked into that whole thing, and it just gets ugly, you know? Yeah, um, my dad was telling me all about it. So sometimes I just like to like listen to him and yeah. hear all what he says. Do you still talk to your dad I and things? Was... I guess. Yeah, yeah, because um, I go to my my I switch to my mom and dad's house during the week. Okay. And so I sometimes I'm with my mom and the other all the other time with my dad. Right. Hmm. My dad is more um, FSM. But, and so oh really a, yeah he has um the pirate the pirate fish or whatever tattooed on his leg that's and, awesome yeah he just got um rebar re um, married in may as well okay so how and, is that going is that going pretty well yeah i um she my stepmom was really nice that's good by the way how old are yeah. you you don't have to say I'm if 14. you don't want you're 14 I'm okay 14. yeah okay well, things are going pretty well for you then. Is that fair to yeah. say? Yeah. That's good. What grade are you in now? Are you in like 10th? Um, I'm going into 9th grade. 9th. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Um, When I was growing up, I remember 7th grade, I was pulled out of school and I was homeschooled. And I was homeschooled for four years. And then I went back to school. And technically, I was in 10th grade when I... Or no, I was in... I was in 11th grade when I went back, I think. But I still had to take the classes. I had to get the credits, the high school credits, or I couldn't graduate high school, period. So even though I was in a certain grade, I still had to take the classes and get the credits. Um, so, like, my perception of age and grade is, like, way thrown off as a result of that. But... Um, is it, is it okay if I just ask one more thing? Yeah, yeah, go go nuts. So my dad has his own podcast as well, and he has yeah. some people that he that he talks to that are like a lot younger, like um, mm. like my age, and he wants that they want to talk to him, even though he is a forty year old man. Right. Do you ever feel awkward in those like situations where there's like, somebody who's a bunch <clears throat> like a lot younger than you just chatting on here? Do you ever feel like a creep? Um. Do I feel like a creep? Yeah. Not really, because I have people aged 60 to 40 to 20 to 14, but I don't actually let 13-year-olds or younger than 13 on the server because it's against Discord's terms of service. So, no, I don't really feel like a creep. Oh, okay. Just, I was just wondering. <laughs> okay. Any other questions <laughs> you wanted to ask before I move um, on to the next person? No, no, that was that was all of them. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Thanks for coming on. That's cool. Um, hmm. 
Do I ever feel like a creep? That is an interesting question. Generally, I... No, I mean, I'm here to talk about a certain subject which affects a lot of people. Religion and extremism. And actually, typically, it affects a younger audience. It affects younger people. Like, in my case with Jehovah's Witnesses, it commonly, I'll find a lot of kids you know 13 14 15 will like stop believing it but they'll already be baptized and they'll have no option they'll have no way out they'll have nothing that they can do about it and that really sucks so i talk to people of all ages all the time in fact i'm just about to talk to somebody who Let's see, Ghost Surfer. You're not a teenager, are you? Are you there, Ghost Surfer? No, I was a teenager back in the 70s. Does that count? Okay, that counts. Yes, you are a teenager at heart. <laughs> okay. So, anyway. You know, before we get started, <laughs> yeah. okay, I have, I have something to tell you. I've been listening to everyone, okay? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, throughout the week, I've actually had a fairly good week this week. So, okay. I've been yeah. I've been online a lot more. Um, and... You know what? And I know I should have put this in your video ideas and stuff. You and I got to get together and we've got to do a video on the inconsistencies of what the scripture actually says versus what the translations say. Inconsistencies. Because, oh, yeah. you know, Yeah, you're right. Because you talked about this last time, didn't you? You talked about yeah. how you know Hebrew, right? Right. Uh, well, I, I speak, read and write fluently uh, Sephardic Hebrew. Um so, you know, I, I know what it says. I know what it says. I can read it. Right. You know, and I can right. read it in the context as to how they wrote it, not in the context as to how some English king um, named James decided he wanted to translate it to because it better fit his world right. and his ideal right. view of the society. So, you know, I look at the stupidest thing I ever heard was some Christian uh you know, bless their heart because I mean, and that's a southern thing. If you're from the south, right? Your heart. <laughs> yeah, just mean you're, you're a dumbass. I that's hear that I sometimes. Hear. Yep. Yeah. So, so it's like they're saying Jesus is the most powerful word in the language. Jesus, he is. Yep. First off, boys and girls, he was Hebrew. He was right. named Hebrew. Right. There is no J in the Hebrew alphabet. Therefore, his name cannot be Jesus. Or Jehovah. Period. Jehovah can't be a name either. Isn't that funny? Yeah, Yehovah. Yehovah. Right. Okay, that's an actual Hebrew word. But no, no, it cannot be. There is no J. How the hell do you put a J in it? And here's a word that everyone has read repeatedly over and over and over again in all of their scripture and been heard throughout their life. But Adam and Eve, right? Right. Well, first off, there was no Adam and Eve. It didn't happen. Eve was not her name. As in the scripture, her name is Chava. I guess would be C-H-A-V-A, something else, or C-H-A-V-A-H, maybe. Chava. So I don't understand the whole mistranslation of her name other than the fact that a whole bunch of European pukes couldn't pronounce Hebrew words. See, that is what's so interesting to me about this whole thing is that a lot of these... So think about this, right? 
science has something called mitochondrial Eve, and it's basically right. in reference to the the thing that the the person that we all came from, right? Um, yeah, and, and 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 for you know, I mean, you you said mitochondrial. So many people don't get what that is. Mitochondrial DNA comes from the mother, comes from the mother, comes yeah. from the mother. Blah 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 blah. On down, on down, on down. Ad infinitum. Right. So you know, it basically says. <clears throat> where everyone came from in essence in an unbroken sorry in in an an unbroken unbroken line of mothers right you know mother to mother to mother to mother right so that's you know i mean we could trace our dna back anyone who believes the world is only six or seven thousand years old is a flaming idiot right and see that's what really gets me about this whole thing is the fact that the name eve has slipped its way into science like that's a scientific term that people use and that really bothers me you know i mean eve obviously wasn't the first name and something else to think about here is how many names um in the u.s are similar to, or they're Jewish names, basically. Michael, right. Sarah, David. Uh, these are all like super common names in the U.S. and they're they're Jewish names, right? Right. I mean, it is like Sarah was not Sarah in the Sephardim or the the Sephardic Hebrew. It would be Sarai, R A I. Okay. As opposed okay. to just S A R A, it would be S A R A I, Sarai. It's like Abraham. I mean, and if you talk to me live, you know, like as a person, and mm-hmm. and I know a few of the people who've been in the voice chat with me have said things like, you know, ask me about scripture and stuff like that. And and I use the term like Avrahim, Avrahim or Israel right, or right. Yadoshalem. I mean, those are the terms that I know, and I have to stop and correct myself uh, because Avrahim, Avrahim is not Avrahim. It's Abraham. Right. And Yadoshalem. Yaru, which is city, Shalem, which is peace. So the city of Yarushalem is Jerusalem. As oh, interesting. Else. Okay. So, but there is no J, so therefore it cannot it's pronounced Hebrew, totally Hebrew. differently. Correct. It's right. not Jerusalem. It's Yarushalem, and it's just an Adam, Adam, Adam. Right. Is that what? Is that how it was pronounced originally? Is Adam like that? Adam. Well, that's how. Uh, Sephardic, there's there's various sects of the Hebrew language. I speak uh, Sephardic, which is the ancient Hebrew. I can look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, pictures of them online right now today, and read them to you. That's so interesting. Um, so, but an Ashkenazic Hebrew, those who learn the Ashkenazic, the Ashkenazi Hebrew, yeah, maybe they can't read it so much. Right. Okay. They might be able to pick out a little bit of stuff. But, you know, that's what I'm saying. There's there's two different sects. My my father, my birth father was from Israel, born in 1947 in Israel. Wow. So that was was that before the they um, they like uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Was that before it became a country again? I, I believe statehood was granted in 48. Okay, so just before it was right at that time. That's interesting. So uh, I mean, technically, he was born in Palestine. Right. Uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> something along those lines. Those lines. Um, oh, and Crate mentioned something a minute ago in the in the chat. She she said the the word Y A W E H. Okay. Y A W E H. Well, I'm sorry. You know, I'm not a religious person. But, you know, if you think there's a dragon in the cave, 
why in the hell should you scream into the cave? Right. That's dumb. I'm not sure, but in the the ancient Hebrew script, when Moses said, hey, look, um, you know, I'm going to go to Egypt. And I'm going to tell these people, to, hey, follow me. We're going to cross the sea. We're going to do all this really cool shit. Yeah. Who in the hell do I tell them I am? How do, how do I pass this message on to them? And he says, well, you give them my name. And he says, okay, what's your name? And he says his name, which are the Hebrew characters, Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. You've written it a few times in some of your Yeah, Y-H-W-H is what it translates to in um, Latin letters, right? Is that correct? Yeah, in the Vulgate, yeah. I mean, it transfer. it's, you know, Yud, which is commonly referred to as a Y. Right. Hey, which is of course the H, and then Vav, Yud Hey Vav Hey, V would be a V, or in the Ashkenazic, it would be a B, as in Bravo. Really, Yud Hey Vav Hey. So it could be Yabe, right? Right. That's Just interesting. Based off of the context and the way the word is written. So I was so, reading. I was reading something by um, Bart Ehrman. Have you ever heard of the guy? I recognize the name, but I don't know from where. Oh, man, uh, you really got to get on YouTube and check this dude out. He's basically a... Uh, okay, so he's a PhD, and he joined... Um, so he, he started this PhD program in... Um, what is it? Like, Hebrew, the languages used in the Bible, um, in an effort to prove that Christianity was correct and that the Bible was inerrant. And, of course... It just went downhill <laughs> yeah. from there. Um, oh, yeah. But, yeah, he has this whole big thing about, like, all kinds of really interesting stuff in the Bible, like mistranslations like that and lost context and really, really interesting dude. You should definitely check him out. Um, he does a lot of talks. And so well, let me ask right, you right, this right. then, okay, because you are kind of in that community a little bit. So... Do so. Here's Bart's opinion on this. Bart thinks Jesus was a real person, but obviously he doesn't think that he did all the crazy things that he purports to have done. What do you think? Do you think Jesus was real or fake? Uh, well, the the scientific and historical evidence proves that at one point in time there was a man, a, a man. See that flesh, blood, right. born of a woman, blah, blah, blah. Right. There was a man who um, basically attended to those provinces who could have fit the, um, what do you call it, the, the description of what everyone refers to as Jesus. Right. I cannot right. deny that. Historically, uh, that, that probably happened. You know, nobody can deny. No, we're not denying that. Anyone who denies that is probably a fool because his, his historical evidence says right. there was someone there. Okay, I mean, we get that. Um, as to whether he was uh, quote unquote God, okay, that's, that's that's a new claim, right? No, that's that's an interpretation era, right. error. Right. Well, because the term, the yud he vav he term, in Hebrew means I am. I don't think anyone can can argue with me on that. I mean, it's been repeated over and over. Right. God is right. the great I am, the I am, the I am. So when one of the apostles in the New Testament, which I use that term loosely, 
because, and I'll be really honest, to a lot of Jewish people, if you use the terms Old Testament and New Testament, it's essentially an insult to them because they don't believe in what in the new testament generally right they they don't believe that there's a new testament of god there's not one there's only have to be one the rules are broken god is finite period end of discussion um if he wrote down the rules at one point in time why should he have to come back later and addend them right so if he's an all-perfect all-knowing god why does he have to write two separate books to explain his belief i know so none of that makes any sense no. i mean if you want to get to it scientifically and, and psychologically but the, but the term for god in hebrew is i am you know that's you really know, interesting I, I hadn't actually read about that i'm gonna have to read a little bit more about that and actually i didn't even realize what time it was it's been good talking to you but i'm gonna move on to another person okay are you gonna yeah, be you, here uh like through on the server for a little while uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm not quite drunk enough to go to sleep yet. Okay. Oh. All right. <laughs> All right. I'll talk yeah, to you next time then. Okay. That was great talk to you. All right. Later, man. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, something I wanted to mention about Jesus. Um, Richard Carrier actually is a pretty staunch opponent against the idea that Jesus is a real person. Um, he seems to think that there's just no evidence for it at all. And there is very little evidence that, you know, the Jesus as described in the Bible minus the miracles existed. But Richard Carrier actually wrote an entire book on it. He's a PhD and he wrote this whole big book on it. I haven't read the thing. I don't know. Um, I have the book. I, I actually met him when I went to Columbus and got a book signed and stuff. It was pretty cool. But I don't know. Uh, Maybe I'll revisit the subject sometime after I read his book and read some other stuff. Okay. There's one final person I wanted to talk to. A little bit short on time. I probably should have cut the very beginning a little bit shorter. But uh, the person is Grubu... Wait. Grubu... Wait. Wait. I'll get it. Grubu Chumu. Are you there? Can you hear me? Testing. One, two, three. Yeah. Can you... I can. I can hear you. Okay. Sorry. I, I had to get my, I had to get some headphones. No problem. Uh, so. A bit clearer. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. So what religion were you originally? Are you still religious? Um, I'm not religious. Uh, I consider myself an atheist, but I grew up Catholic. <laughs> Actually, it's kind of a weird situation. Uh, I'm from Montreal, Quebec. Oh, um, that's cool. And so it's been, it's always been like a very Catholic area and I'm not sure if you've heard about it, but anyway, like in the 60s, basically, um, the whole provincial government sort of like did a shift and, you know, like all the education became secular and um, the health system also, which was up to that point. So people just like quickly started abandoning religion. Mm. Um, I had not heard about all that in was- the 60s, you say? It was called the Quiet Revolution. Um, But what's interesting is that you can see sort of like the progression, like in my family, you know, my grandmother, uh, the the village priest would still come to see her and say like, hey, like, you know, you haven't had a kid in a while, like after your fifth kid, you know, you should probably. And so that was like in the 50s, you know, it's not so long ago. Yeah. Um, 
my parents grew up in sort of like, you know, they weren't really practicing that much, but they went to religious school. Uh, for me, it was kind of weird. Like I went to just like normal public school, but mm. in elementary school, we had like Catholic education like really? once a week. Like of what course. kind of Catholic? Oh, you mean, so it was like mass basically. It was like a church service once a week. Oh, no, no. Basically the teacher, like we had textbooks about like the life of Jesus. Oh, or, wow. It was like in you know, school. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but what was really interesting is that it was actually um, you could opt out. So you you would always have like, um, you know, like was, when I was in fifth grade, I had like a little friend who was like Mormon and, you know, he would like opt out. And there was this other class that would just be called like ethics or something like that. Yeah. Would just be like the same thing, but without mentioning Jesus or anything. So that's what that's what's wow. really weird. Like back in just my generation and you know i'm just 27 i'm not super old like yeah that's, and that's my generation and now i mean i remember that when i did my first communion uh it was organized through the school because if you want to do that it, is crazy and this was in so you're 27 so what year was this roughly it's probably in the 2000s early 2000s well yeah like in the 90s uh my okay you know, my uh, first communion was in 1998 or, ni yeah, 1997, I think. That makes sense. But you know what? Just two years after me, there was a huge, like, education reform, and yeah. they took out all of that. Wow, that's uh, insane. Which I think is, yeah, like, it's, it's really recent. So when I when I think about it, I just, I find it crazy. Like, I, I have a niece who was just born recently, and uh, she's not, like, my brother is not going to baptize her. I mean, in my family, we're just, like, I have one... I have one go well my godmother is from Haiti so she's very religious also like very catholic and yeah she used to like take me and my brother to church when we were kids but I mean now it's just like one in my family that's more vocal about like my atheism because yeah. my parents like don't really give so they don't they don't really care about it then they're they're not like oppressive or pushing it down uh, your throat absolutely not no, but there are still a couple of families, and even in my family, you know, sometimes some older relatives will still have some sort of, like, <sighs> I don't know, like, you know, they're, they're going to go to church for Easter, or they're going to, like, refer right. to, like, biblical stuff. But, of course, it's not, like, they're not, you know, it, Catholic people don't, like, read the Bible, I feel like, as much as other uh, branches of Christianity. Right. Uh, so they're pretty much just, like, we're pretty much just like repeating what you were told and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of uh, mantras and stuff like that, from my understanding, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, but I mean, you know, we're still like, it's still mm. interesting to see. Like, uh, some people say that, you know, technically, historically speaking, the Quiet Revolution was in the '60s. Mm. Uh, I feel like in a couple of years, we're gonna look back and realize that it was still going on, like at the beginning of the 21st century. Yeah, obviously. It was such a huge, di huge difference just between my education and education today. So I, I think that that's that's very encouraging, actually, uh, to see that there is change and it's possible to sort of like, I don't know, it's 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 possible know, it's to move things in a progressive direction the way it should be going. I'm a hundred percent with you on that. And actually, on that note, I'm going to let you go, and I'm going to make a little comment on that point. Uh, but I appreciate sure. you coming on and talking to me so much yeah that's really really interesting stuff um so here's the thing 
about that, about like Canada, the U.S., and all that good stuff. The the Quiet Revolution, like she was talking about there, that is something that we didn't really have to go through in the U.S. necessarily because we have separation of church and state, right? So um, there were prayers in schools and things for like a really long time, but eventually um, secularism kind of won the battle and we got prayers removed from schools. And now... They can't even call them Christmas dances or Christmas balls. They have to call them winter balls or snowballs because you can't. the state cannot endorse one religion over another, right? And that makes me happy, but there are still a lot of real deep issues with the U.S.'s uh, like policies with regards to religion. So the Quiet Revolution, it sounds more like a social movement than a governmental movement. It was a social movement that kind of got a lot of religion out of government. But there was there was this social movement in the U.S. that kind of pushed for the Constitution to, uh, or could, tried to push to uh, make things like the Founding Fathers intended with the, uh, with separation of church and state and things, which I don't actually think is in the Constitution, but there's precedent for it with Thomas Jefferson and all that. Anyway, long story short, I think that uh, the U.S. is kind of pretty far behind Canada on secularism, even though Canada doesn't have something in their Constitution about, you know, keeping religion out of the state, as far as I know. I mean, I may be incorrect there, but uh, that I I think that's how it how it is with Canada. Anyways, I would love to move to Canada. Honestly, I think I want to move somewhere snowy. I think living somewhere snowy would be awesome. Um, I just I don't know. Some about waking up in the morning, uh, you know, on a school day and looking out the window to see if there's snow. And then finding that there is, and then turning the TV on to listen to the news to see if there are any school cancelings, or listening to the radio for school cancelings. Just something so perfect about it. Then I'd go to my uh, living room and play Super Mario Brothers or something. It was just awesome, man. Still have, like, nostalgic memories of playing Super Mario Brothers with snow outside. I just freaking love uh, snow. Anyway... Yeah, maybe I'll move to Canada one day. But um, I was going to get questions, but it's actually we're already over. So I'm going to push those questions off. And we'll hold on to those questions and we'll see if we can get to them next time. But I appreciate you guys for coming and I will talk to you next time.